You are listening to Pastor Michael Harvey of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, It's Not About the Donkeys, recorded on November 4th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Harvey as he preaches. I want to welcome you in uh, Freeport, uh, Petroleum Valley, Indiana. Thanks for being here. Friends in, in prison, I'm sorry that you're there. But as you'll find out tonight, uh, perhaps God has a plan for you being there. I'm glad that Harvest is there, though, aren't you? I'm glad that Harvest is there. I'm glad that Harvest is praying for those folks and is taking the gospel in to the jails and redeeming those uh, who who are lost. And isn't that what Jesus is all about? Amen. Well, Providence. How many of you have ever heard the word providence? Few hands. Few hands uh, went up. It's, it is not an unfamiliar word perhaps uh, centuries ago. In fact, I think uh, the word providence was used in almost every piece of communication. Uh, the pilgrims, when they would write letters to friends and family members, they would always end it with DV, Deo Valente, if the Lord wills. They had a sense that everything was given to us by God. In his book, Out of the Whirlwind, Mark Tab wrestles with the age-old problem of the presence of evil in the world. How many of you wrestle with that problem? How many of you wrestled with that problem last Saturday when a Jewish synagogue was attacked? How many of you wrestle with that when you see uh, news uh, casts and see the horrible things that happen? Uh, you hear stories of newlyweds who, who go to Thailand or go to far-off countries and two or three days into their honeymoon, uh, a tidal wave comes and takes them away. We've heard stories like that, haven't we? We, we? we have a hard time making sense of that. I sat in a room the other night with a woman who was making sense of her son-in-law passing away with two young children. What do you do with that? What do you do with that information? Well, Mark Tabb in his book writes, I I can accept tragedy when I see God working through it. But will I when I can't see God working through it? Job posed this question to his wife, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Will I accept bad things from the hand of God without demanding an explanation? Without seeing any tangible results or Every, ever, without ever knowing why God would possibly want to inflict pain upon me? Do you guys hear your own questions echoing in your minds and in your hearts? Doubts, conflict, tragedy. The question is not whether I will try to understand it or rejoice in it in the hope that spiritual maturity runs through the valley of the shadow. That's the hope. The hope is that I'll move away from trying to understand it and just trust. And that is what God is trying to do with us ultimately. Will I accept bad things from the hand of God as readily as I accept the good? What about you? Are there things going on in your life you don't understand? Are there things going on in the lives of your family and friends that you don't understand, that you can't find answers for? Are there circumstances in your life that you can't make sense of? Do you hear of struggles and tragedies that don't fit into your understanding of a loving God? Well, I think we're going to find some answers tonight in this passage that 
we, we just read. There is a biblical doctrine that helps us understand. Doctrine is not our enemy. Doctrine is a friend. In fact, sometimes those deep uh, biblical truths that we call doctrines uh, are the foundations and the bedrocks of our lives when we go through the difficulties of our lives. Where do we lean? Can we lean on a God who doesn't have the kind of characters that our God has that we see in the scriptures if we don't know about it? That's doctrine. Doctrine is important for us. If it does not answer the question, if it doesn't answer every question, this doctrine I'm going to talk about tonight, at least it provides a foundation for understanding. It provides a good starting point. It's called the doctrine of the providence of God. The word providence is not in the scriptures. It is what they call a theological construct. It was constructed from various ideas and passages of scriptures and thoughts in the word of God, God's characters, God's character, the qualities that he has. That's where we get the doctrine of providence. There are five statements that unfold the meaning of God's providence in more detail. Here's the first statement, and I have a couple scriptures to follow it up with. I don't have them on the screen, so you can write them in your maps. He upholds all things. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Maybe global warming is true. I don't know if it's true. I don't care. I, I don't. But what I do know this, whether the, whether the world is slowing down in its axis, whether the polar ice caps are heating up, doesn't matter to me. I know who upholds this earth. And until God lets go of this earth, it's gonna continue to spin. It's gonna continue to be in a place that allows for the habitation of you and I. God upholds this world, this earth, this universe by the word of his power. He governs all things. He governs all things. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Some things, only the good things to the counsel of his will. All things to the counsel of of his will. He directs everything to its appointed end. Isaiah chapter 46:10, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Can we foil God's plans? No, we cannot. He does all that he does this all the time and in every circumstance. He doesn't just choose a few circumstances. He doesn't decide that he's going to Choose your circumstances today and your circumstances tomorrow. He does this all the time and in all circumstances. He does it always for his own glory and for the good of his people. These are five important things we need to know. These are not in your map, but you can write them down. I recognize when I looked at the map, I didn't give you enough room to write these things down. What was I thinking? Hopefully you can find some space to write it down. What does the doctrine of God's providence teach us? We are going to be getting to Samuel 9 by the way. I think the doctrine of God's providence teaches us that God cares about the tiniest details of our lives. Does he know when a sparrow falls? A sparrow. How much would you pay for a sparrow? How much did they pay in Bible times when they came to offer sparrows? Because that was an offering for the poor. 
I think it was like two shekels, two pennies for a sparrow. God knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. Isn't that an amazing thought? He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows how many of those fall to the ground too. He keeps track of the, scar- the stars in the skies. He knows where the rivers flow to the oceans. Think of God's response to Job in the last 10 chapters of the, of the book of Job. What was God saying? Job, where were you when I did all these things? Where were you when I stretched out the heavens? See, God is still in control of those things. He's still the Lord and master. He still upholds all those things. God cares about the tiniest details of our lives. God has not fallen asleep when something bad happens to you. He's not asleep at the switch when something bad happens in in our world. We don't have to wake him up. We don't have to do a dance to wake him up. He is aware of everything that's going on with his people. He sets the day of your birth. The day of your death, he ordains everything that comes to pass in between. God cares about the tiniest details of life. He uses everything and wastes nothing. That's the second thing that I want you to see about the doctrines of God's providence. He uses everything and wastes nothing. There are no accidents with God. Only incidents. This includes events that seem to be senseless tragedies. I I don't understand it. I don't even pretend to begin to explain it. But I know it's true. And I trust that it's true. What else do we know about the doctrine of God's providence? God's ultimate purpose is to shape his children into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 tells us that. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you love him, and you're called according to his purpose, what is he working all things out for? You're good. I can't see it sometimes, though. We can't see it in a lot of respects, can we? There are many verses in the Bible that teach these truths. Acts 17, 28 says, In him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1, 17, In him all things hold together. Proverbs 16, 9, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. In Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. We serve an amazing God. We serve a God that is not moved by the whim and fancy of the people that love him. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that our God cannot be manipulated? But our God is good and he has your best interests in mind and he also has the big picture. There's great comfort for me in the doctrine of God's providence. The doctrine of God's providence is really a combination of four other things, some attributes, some character qualities of God, some other doctrines, the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? God is in control. God is absolutely in control of all things. Predestination. That's sometimes a hot topic in some churches that I have visited. But here's the bottom line. God is in charge of how everything turns out. That's what I want you to hold on to when it comes to the doctrine of predestination. God's in charge of how everything turns out. Wisdom. God doesn't make any mistakes. 
Goodness. God's goodness. Here's the problem with God's goodness. We try to define God's goodness by how we define goodness. That's where we mess up. We don't have any other, really any other context, though, to define God's goodness, do we? We have to go to the scriptures when we define God's goodness, though. But God's goodness, what does it mean for us? God has our best interests at heart. That's what it means. In the words of R.C. Sproul, God doesn't roll dice. Nothing happens by chance, ever. So let me give you a summary of this great doctrine then touch upon a few places where I think we can see it in 1 Samuel 9. And by the way, uh, we're going to skip over 1 Samuel 10. We're moving on to 1 Samuel 11 when we, when we come back next week. So when you have an opportunity to read 1 Samuel 10, I'm going to allude to some of 1 Samuel 10 in, 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 as I unfold this. But here, if you look at your maps, there's a summary of this great doctrine of God's providence. And here it is. God is in charge of what happens, when it happens, how it happens, why it happens, and even what happens after it happens. This is true of all events in every place from the beginning of time. He does this for our good and his glory. He is not the author of sin, yet evil serves his purposes. He does not violate our free will, yet our free will serves his purposes. We don't need to understand all this but we do need to trust God. So there are two ways we can look at the circumstances in our passage today. There's a 30,000 foot view and there's a 10,000 foot view. The 30,000 foot view looks at it this way. It's the big picture of what's going on in 1 Samuel chapter nine. God is preparing the way for the coming of Christ through the kingship of Israel. God is preparing a whole line of kings through whom Christ, the king of kings, will eventually be born. And here's another thing that he's doing in raising up human kings. And again, Pastor Mike said last week, he doesn't understand why God allowed this to happen. He, he was quite accomplished as their king, wasn't he? The Israelites' king. He told them they didn't need a king. But they continued to complain and whine about it. You know, sometimes when my kids were younger, they would complain and whine about things and I would just get so tired of hearing them whine and complain that I would say, okay, I I warned you what's gonna happen. So if this is what you want, take it. Romans 1, 18. What happens happens with, with humanity when we worship the creature rather than the creator? God says, okay. You can have the consequences. But I guarantee you this. There may have been a human king on the throne, but God never stopped ruling. God never stopped caring for his people. He never stopped being in charge. Even though there was a human king, albeit miserable human kings. But why does God do that for, for them? And why, did he, why does he do it for us sometimes? Why does he withhold things from us? I think he does that sometimes. And why does he give us some things that we want knowing that they're not necessarily good in, 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 in the short term? I think he's creating longing in us. And when you have a series of bad king after bad king after bad king who are doing the things that the prophets said they would do, taking your children from you, taxing you, you finally say, I can't wait for the real king to show up. And so I think that God is creating a longing in us for when the true King Jesus shows up, 
those, those who were ready for him, they were ready for him, weren't they? And I think he does that for us too. On a smaller level though, God is also working in Saul's life in a special way. And even though Saul is ultimately not God's man, God will give him every chance and opportunity to shine as Israel's first king. As you look at God working in Saul's life, I think we can learn some very important truths about how God works in our lives, how the providence of God still operates in our lives. Sometimes we think God only works in the big and spectacular moments of life. But I think we'll find out with some of the incidents and stories in 1 Samuel 9 and 10 that these chapters are really a wonderful demonstration that God is at work even in the ordinary details of our life. So let's dive into our passage. Verses 1 through 14 really set the scene for us. And at first glance, we see a very ordinary even frustrating day for Saul and his servants. What are, they, what are they asked to do? The donkeys get loose. And Saul's dad comes to him and says, Saul, take your servant and go find these donkeys. Ordinary, mundane, nothing special about going and looking for donkeys, are they? Is there? No, I don't think so. In fact, when we first read these verses, you might wonder, why would God include such an ordinary, trivial event in the scriptures. What's so important about looking for donkeys? And yet, what we really see in these verses are an example of God's guiding hand and how, here's your first first point, God is at work in even the most ordinary details of your life. God is at work in the most ordinary details of your life. And the reality is, is we miss it sometimes because we're looking for the flash we're looking for the, the, the big things. We're looking for the, the powerful moments. And we miss God in the ordinary. God is at work in our family background. Each of us have a history that has brought us to where we are today. And we may not like it. We may struggle with the family that we were raised in. But God had a purpose. I wasn't raised in a great family. My dad had issues. I thought they were my issues. I thought I was the problem. But I realized as I got older, I wasn't the problem. He had issues. I could complain about them or I could take responsibility for choosing differently. God puts us in the families that we were raised in for a reason. Acts 17, 26 says this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. You are not in America by accident. 1016 is not in India by accident. You don't work where you work by accident. God has a plan. In the same way, Saul in our passage doesn't appear out of nowhere. Saul's father, Kish, was a man of standing. It becomes clear from the passage that Saul's family was wealthy. They owned donkeys. They had servants. Saul's father was an important person in the community. Saul's family background also contributed to his physical appearance. You know, when that passage was read, you can read it kind of differently. It said that he was taller than everybody else from his shoulders up. What happened to the rest of his body? Well, did he have a really long neck? I, I, that just kind of hit me when it was being read. Why did they say the shoulders up? 
He was taller than everybody. I don't look at people and go, wow, he's taller from the shoulder up. One commentator remarks, if a king is to be distinguished by his physical appearance, then Saul is every inch a king. You know, it's interesting. We later see that all the heart of Israel had turned toward Saul. One of the things that brought Saul to the attention of the people was what? His height. He was a head taller than everybody else. You couldn't miss him. When he was walking through a crowd, he was there. Interestingly enough, he's hanging out by the baggage when Samuel comes around to elevate him in the eyes of the public. He's, he's kind of cowardly. He's hiding with the luggage. God is also at work in interruptions and setbacks in your life. Poor Saul. He, certainly Saul had other things to do than to go run after donkeys. He and his servant travel up and down and all around, but they can't find them anywhere. Do you ever face interruptions and setbacks in your life? Do you get frustrated with those interruptions and setbacks? Did you ever wonder that maybe God put those interruptions and setbacks in your life because he, ha- he, has, he has an agenda for you? And the problem is we get so grumpy and so distracted by the interruptions and the setbacks, we miss out on what God might have for us in the midst of those. because we're complaining about it. Would it help to know that God is at work in those interruptions and setbacks? I think it should. I think Saul thought he was just looking for donkeys. But God's guiding hand was at work in his life. God is also at work in the people he has placed around you. In in this particular case, God used the servant that went along with Saul. You know, you could read this from one perspective. You could read this. Well, these are all some very interesting coincidences. It's It's just coincidental that Saul's servant just happened to have some money in his pocket. It's just coincidental that they happened to walk close to a town where Samuel hung out. It's coincidental that some young ladies came out to gather water in the morning and they could direct Saul to Samuel. Are these all coincidences? Just kind of fate that's weaving its way through our lives? We have grief share at Freeport on Tuesday nights. We had a, a lady visit us on Tuesday and we asked her, how'd you hear about grief share at Freeport? And she said, you know, here's the interesting thing. I live in Sarver and I get the Valley News Dispatch And I walked out one morning about a week and a half ago and I picked up the paper and I brought it into the house and I took it out of the bag and I opened it up and and it was the Butler Eagle. And I'm like, I I didn't order the Butler Eagle. So she read it because she didn't have the Valley News Dispatch and about the third or fourth page she said, I opened it up and there was the advertisement for grief share. She lost her husband in July. And she said, I was determined the next day that if the butler eagle showed up on my front porch, I was going to call the butler eagle and told me they made a mistake. She said, you know what? The butler eagle has never shown up again on my front porch. Oh, that's just, a, that's just fate weaving its, weaving its plan. It's just happenstance, coincidence. God's at work in the timing of events too. They're going up 
the hill to the town. They happened to meet some girls who were coming out to draw water. They asked the girls about the seer. The girls tell them where they can find Samuel. They tell him exactly where to go. They give them defined instructions on how to find him. It also turns out that Samuel, remember earlier in the passage, Pastor Mike talked about Samuel was kind of like a circuit preacher? Well, he happened to be back in that town. He had done his circuit and he was back. Saul and his servant had been out looking for donkeys for three days. And yet the timing is perfect. If they had arrived one day earlier, it would have been too soon. If they had arrived one day later, Samuel would have been on doing something else. They came right at the right time. I've heard stories of people who were planning on going on vacations and they had certain airlines uh, booked. And for some reason, the airlines bumped them off of that plane, that plane and interestingly enough they hear a day later that plane was hijacked or that plane uh, got grounded with mechanical problems or perish the thought that that plane crashed. Timing. Chance. Did they roll dice? Sometimes our timing seems off in life, doesn't it? If I had just been there the right time, the right place, Everything's amiss sometimes in our life. You feel like you're waiting forever for things to come together. But know that God is at work even in the timing of events in your life. Your timing may be off, but God's timing is always perfect. Again, Grief Share is, is such a great outreach. This woman was struggling with her mother passing away. And she said, if I'd only been there earlier, I could have stopped it. Really? One of the encouragement that Grief Share says is the Bible says that God has appointed one day for us to die. There's a day that all of us are going to die. And there's not anything I'm convinced we can do about it. We can't take enough medication or enough vitamins. We can't do enough exercise. Now, I'm not saying don't exercise. And I'm not saying don't take vitamins. Don't treat your body well. But if God has has appointed a particular day for you to move from this life to the next. You can't stop it. You know, the rest of the passage gives us a peek behind the scenes that tell us some important things about God's plan for your life. So we're going to look at five of those things uh, pretty, pretty pretty quickly. The first thing is that God's plan precedes your present circumstances. God's plan precedes your present circumstances. In other words, you never get into a jam and then God has to come up with a plan. God's plan precedes your present circumstances. Saul and his servant thought they were just looking for donkeys. But before they ever had gotten to town, God had already revealed to Samuel that someone was coming for him. You might wonder what you're doing in in this present moment. How did I get here? And what do I do next? Take heart. God's plan precedes your present circumstances and you can trust him to lead you to the next step. There's this great scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where he's kind of in that, they're looking for the grail. And there's a series of uh, things they have to do to get to this inner sanctum, so to speak, where this grail is. And one of them is to, is to take, a step of, take the leap of faith. And they're standing at a huge chasm there's like 25, 30 feet between this wall and that wall and there's, a, there's an old Knights Templar that's kind of walking them through this and he's telling them some things and he, he says, it's the leap of faith. And interestingly enough, 
they don't see the bridge until Indiana Jones puts his foot across that chasm. And then the bridge just all of a sudden appears. And then, then he takes dust and throws it across it so he can see the whole thing. But you know, I think that's sometimes the way life is with us. I, I don't know how many college students I have talked to who have wrestled with when they're coming up to the end of their four years, sometimes five years, they struggle so much with what does God want me to do? And here's what I think God really wants you to do. First of all, look at Jesus. He never struggled with what God wanted him to do. He was always in the center of God's will. Remember, he was 100% human being. He was always in the center of God's will. I think one of the reasons he was in the center of God's will, because he did focus on the means of grace that God gave him in reading the scriptures and getting a way to spend time with his heavenly father to get oriented and, and reminded of what his job was, what his calling was. But here's the truth. Sometimes God is not going to write, in fact, the only time I think God wrote on a wall in the scriptures was judgment. And I, I struggled with this in college too. I wanted God to write on the wall. But what he wanted me to do was take a step. Start moving. Man makes the plans, and then what happens, Scripture says, God directs the steps. I guarantee you, if you make a wrong step, he's going to move you. He's going to move you to the right step. It may be a series of wrong steps you take before you get to the right step, but he will eventually get you to the right step. I believe that's true. I want to deal with a dangerous uh, teaching that that's exists today. It's called open theism. How many of you have ever heard of open theism? Just a small handful. Well, here's what open theism is in a nutshell, and I want you to listen very closely. Open theism is this idea that because God loves us and desires that we freely choose to return his love, okay, first of all, can you freely choose, return God's love without a work of the Spirit first? No. You don't even want to. You want to run as far away from God as you can until the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart. Open theism is this idea that because God loves us and desires that we freely choose to return his love, he has made his knowledge of and plans for the future conditional upon our actions and choices. If that's not the tail wagging the dog, I don't know what is. Though God is omniscient, meaning all-knowing, God does not know what we will freely do in the future. So God has, in a sense, suspended his all-knowingness until we make the choice. And then he makes the choice after we make the choice. Though God is all-powerful, He has chosen to invite us to freely collaborate with him in governing and developing his creation, thereby also allowing us the freedom to thwart his hopes for us. That is rubbish. Here are a couple premises, several unbiblical characteristics of this perspective. God's greatest attribute is love and he would never allow or condone evil or suffering to befall mankind. The person who put that together did not read Job. Before Job was tempted by the evil one, who did the evil one need permission from? God. They must have taken that book out of their Bible. Here's another thing about open theism. Man, man's will has not been so affected by the fall, meaning we're really not, 
we're re- sin really hasn't affected us so much that we can't still make choices towards God. What, what does the Bible say we are dead in? Trespasses and sins. We're dead. Can we bring ourselves alive? Can, we, can a dead person bring themselves back to life? Can a dead body bring themselves back to life? Did Frankenstein lean over on the table and say, hey, doc, I want to come back to life? No, he didn't. We cannot bring ourselves back to life. We need the work of the Spirit. We need the work of God outside of us, regenerating us by the power of the Holy Spirit before we can choose anything as good as God. Thirdly, God does not have exhaustive knowledge of the future. Indeed, he cannot know certain future events because the future exists only as a possibility. God is unable to see what depends on the choices of free will agents like you and I. So he gives us the freedom to choose. God doesn't determine the future, but he waits until you and I choose. It's almost like God lays out a path for us and he lays out A and B, but he doesn't know what's after A and B until we choose A or B. That's not a sovereign God. That's not a God who is in control of even the ends of all things. Another characteristic is God learns. Because God does not know the future, he learns just as we do. And then this last characteristic is God is reactive. Because he is learning, God is constantly reacting to our decisions. God is reacting and, and acting and reacting, changing the future based on our decisions. Do you realize how chaotic the world would be if he did life that way? How many of you saw Bruce Almighty? Do <laughs> you remember when all those prayer requests were coming at him and he said yes to all of them? Do, do you, the chaos that was caused because of saying yes to all those prayer requests? That's the same thing that would happen here. If God suspends his plan waiting for you and I to make a decision, it's chaos because he can't give everybody what they want. This, this, is, this is garbage. Essentially, you and I are the ones who are sovereign and God determines his plan only after you and I make our decisions. That's not providence. Secondly, God's plan is bigger than you. God's plan is bigger than you. God told Samuel he was sending him a man to anoint as king over Israel. If you were to ask Saul, he thought he was just out looking for donkeys. But God had bigger plans. Saul's servant thought he was just along for the ride, but God had bigger plans. The servant girls thought they were just drawing water at the well, but God had bigger plans. You see, God's plan is bigger than yours and mine. It's bigger than you and me. And in Saul's case, God was preparing a king for Israel in answer to the national prayer. But isn't it interesting, even in answer to that national prayer, he's preparing a king, he knows they're gonna fail, He's warned them of all the things that's gonna happen. He still is concerned about his people. Three times, and we didn't read verse 16. Yeah, we did read verse 16. Three times he says, my people. God is still concerned and intimately involved in the life of his people. He doesn't stop ruling even though they have one bozo after another who takes the throne. He doesn't stop ruling. See, God nor his servant 
nor the girls at, uh, Saul nor his servants nor the girls at the well knew anything about this. Saul thought he was just looking for donkeys, but God was building a kingdom. God's plans are bigger than you. God will reveal what you need to know when you need to know it. And this one I have a hard time with because I like to know things. I, I, think, I think the reason we struggle with gossip is because we want to know things. That's why it's a sin. We want to know things. And you know what? When we know things, we put ourselves in the, in the place of God. I know things. And we want to tell other people and let other people know we know things. God will reveal what you need to know when you need to know it. When Samuel saw Saul, what did God say? This is the man. God didn't tell him Saul was coming. God said a man is coming to you tomorrow. But when Saul, Samuel showed up, God said this is him. Or, I'm sorry, Saul showed up, this is him. God told him what he needed to know when he needed to know it. And God is gonna do the same thing for you and I. We always want the information up front. But God doesn't usually work that way. But I want you to take comfort in knowing that God will tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. And how's he gonna do that primarily? Through the word. Through the word. He's also gonna do that in community. That's why we are in community together. There is an important place in the community, the body of, of believers. Don't let your individualism and the individualism of our culture uh, steal away the blessing and the benefit of community. Because God uses community to communicate the next thing. It's important to note in this story that Samuel doesn't choose Saul as king. Who chooses Saul as king? God does. Samuel is just the intermediary. In chapter eight, the people came to Samuel asking God for a king. In chapter nine, God answered their prayer by bringing Saul to Samuel. God sends Saul to Samuel and God prepares Samuel for Saul's arrival in advance. Samuel didn't choose Saul. God chose Saul. Now Saul's case is a special one. He will be the first king of Israel, but God's providence is not just for kings. It's for you and I. God's providence for, is for all of us. Proverbs 16, 9 tells us the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God's providence extends to you. God is working out the plans of your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Sometimes we don't understand God's plan. I think that's okay. In fact, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I think sometimes if I were to know God's plan in advance, I would probably be paralyzed by fear. If I knew before I left the house this morning that I was going to get in an accident, I wouldn't leave the house. I'm paralyzed by fear and inactivity. But I don't know that I'm going to get in an accident today or tomorrow or the next day. I don't know what's going to befall me. So I have to live each day by faith. I have to take each step by faith. That's what living by faith is. Proverbs 20, verse 24 says, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? In other words, how are you supposed to understand? 
we don't have the capacity or the foresight to understand an infinite being. We don't. Here's another thing we need to know about God's plan. And, and this, you can put duh next to this point. God's plan is different from ours. God's plan is often different from ours. Can everybody say duh? duh. Thank you very much. Saul comes to Samuel to ask him about the donkeys. But before Saul can even say a word, what does Samuel tell him? The donkeys have already been found and sends him off to a feast instead. In other words, it's not about the donkeys. It never was about the donkeys. God's plan was different from Saul's. Samuel tells Saul, in the morning I will let you go and I will tell you all that is in your heart. And no, we never know what's in all, we never know what is in Saul's heart, but God knew and God confirmed that he knew it through Samuel. God knows our plans too. Sometimes that's scary because I can't hide anything from God. I can't go in a corner like sometimes our children think if I go in the corner, mom won't see me doing this. Parents know. Moms know. They do. They have eyes in the back of their head. They really do. Pull up your mom's hair later tonight, you'll see. I don't know how parents find out these things. Sometimes my kids don't know how I find out things. Doesn't matter. I can't hide anything from God. God knows our plans. He knows what's in our heart. Some of it's good and lines up with, with his plans. Some of it is not good and needs to be laid aside. But isn't it encouraging to know that God knows our hearts, even if his plans may ultimately be different? Remember, What's God's goal in his providence? His glory first and our good second. His glory first, our good. Samuel goes to tell Saul, verse 21, he says, and for, and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, I am not a Benjamite. Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? See, Saul's really not quite ready for this appointment, is he? And he protests. He pulls the Benjamin card twice in these verses, not knowing that God told Samuel he was sending him someone from Benjamin. So really, Saul cooked his own goose. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I know already. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Really, Saul, I know that already. God told me. That would freak me out a little bit if I were Saul. Saul's protest, though, is actually a confirmation that God's plan was right all the time. Here's, a, here's the last point on your map. God's plan is always better than ours. God's plan is always better than ours. Saul is given the seat of honor and a special portion of food that was set aside especially for him. As it turns out, this whole feast, and you'll see this in chapter 10, this whole feast was actually called in his honor and he didn't know it. The special portion that Saul asks for in, uh, it was set aside, was set aside for Samuel 
because Samuel had an invited guest. It was Saul. He didn't know who that invited guest was, though. Because the day before, God said, Samuel, someone's coming to you. A man's coming to you. You're going to anoint him king. But he didn't know who it was yet. I don't know what God's plan is for you. You may not always get the seat of honor or the best portion of food. You may not get a lot of things that the world values most, but I know this, God's plan is always best for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And these words were originally written for Israel who knew they were gonna be going into captivity. And you know, the reality is we are in a foreign land. We are strangers and aliens in a foreign land. This is not our ultimate home. And God has a plan for us. And it's for our good and his glory. So much of our lives, though, are just ordinary day-to-day events that don't seem to hold any special meaning, do they? We get up in the morning, we go to work, we come home, we cook meals, we cut grass, whatever your hobbies are, take care of kids, take care of parents, take care of dogs, take care of animals. We think that's just ordinary mundane. We think God can't really care about this stuff, but he does. He cares about every tiny little detail. Sometimes we get discouraged by the interruptions, the distractions, the frustrations, the setbacks. Sometimes you feel as, we feel as if we're walking in circles getting nowhere. In other words, just a lot of life looking for a bunch of donkeys. Saul thought he was just out looking for donkeys. But he was part of something much bigger. He was looking, he was looking for donkeys, but God was building a kingdom. Sometimes it feels like we're just looking for donkeys too, but we are also part of something much bigger. We too are part of the kingdom God is building. Don't get tripped up with your smaller stories. Don't get tripped up with the distractions and the interruptions that keep you from the bigger picture. Because that's what the evil one wants to do. He wants to get you distracted by the, your little stories and the little things that, that are whirling around our lives. John Piper says this. He says, which world would you rather live in? One where humans or Satan or chance govern what happens to us? Or one where an infinitely good, infinitely wise, infinitely powerful God works everything together for the good of those who trust him and for his glory. So, which world would you rather live in? A world where God is absolutely in control? A a world in which God has his glory and your best interests always in mind? Or do you want to think that it's fate? Or do you want to think that it's human beings that are actually calling the shots? That's not the world I want to live in. I still don't understand everything. I still don't understand why last Saturday. I still don't understand why tragedy. I still don't understand why all these things happen. But I have a God who does. And that's all I need to know. I have a God who does, who loves me. And he wants our good and our best. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. 
For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.